The scripture reading today is from John chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was with me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and happy new year. I trust that you all had a, a good holiday week, got some extra rest. I had Christmas dinner this year at my sister's house and my niece was there with her son Walker. Walker is a very cute little three-year-old boy and Walker's father has already begun to teach him some common terms from Christian theology which can lead to some surprises. For example, we're, we're sitting at the, uh, the, the table, everyone eating their Christmas dinner, and little walkers there, you know, trying to shovel food into his mouth as a three-year-old would do. And somebody says to him, Walker, can you explain what Christmas is all about? And this little three-year-old boy looks up and he says, the incarnation. <laughs> And, and we laughed, and so the person said, and Walker, what does that mean? And I guess he hadn't studied for that question. He kind of grew silent, and he said, it means Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I think Walker is right. It does mean Jesus. Um, incarnation, as I'm sure you, you probably know, incarnation is the term that Christian theologians use to describe what happened when God's Son came into this world at the birth of Jesus. That's, that's incarnation. It's, that, that's what it means. He came here. Verse, verse 10 begins with these words. He was in the world. That thrills me because sometimes the world seems like a dark place, right? He was here. He, Christ, came into this world. And so what I'd like to do with this passage today is I want to ask three very basic questions about the incarnation, all right? So here are the questions. The questions are who, how, why? So in the incarnation, first, who? Who came into this world? Secondly, how did this person come here? And then third, this might be the most important, why did he come? So we'll start with uh, who. Who came into this world? Well, in this passage in John 1, we learn that the baby born in Bethlehem, and in, in Matthew and in Luke, you, we read about his birth. But in John 1, we learn that the baby born in Bethlehem, this was no ordinary child. I mean, not, not, not at all. 
In verse 10, John says, the world, the world was made through him. Now, in, in Greek, the word that's translated world here is a word you probably know. It's the, it's the Greek word cosmos, which has a, a range of meanings. But um, in, this, in this context, it doesn't just mean world as in the planet Earth. It means world, the cosmos, as in the entire universe. The entire universe was made through him. All right, so how big is the universe? Uh, one, one way to illustrate the size of the universe, uh, they say if, if, we could, if we could shrink everything down, imagine we shrink everything down until our sun is the size of a penny, all right? If our sun were the size of a penny, the closest star to our sun, which is called Proxima Centura, all right, the closest star would be 350 miles away which is like Montreal, Canada. So that's, that's how much space is between all these stars. They estimate that there are about 100 billion stars in our galaxy, just in our galaxy. And they estimate there are like over 200 billion galaxies in the part of the universe that we can see. There's, there's parts out there we can't even, it, we, it's, it's not even observable to us. That's how big the universe is. And, and so, all right, so who came into our world? John says the cosmos, the universe, the world. It was made through him. He, he goes on to, to add to this description of the one who came into our world. Verse 12 says, he, is, he calls him the only son from the Father whose glory we have seen. And that word that's translated glory, again, has a range of meanings. But one of those meanings, this is the word that first century Jews, they would use this word, Greek-speaking Jews would use this word to describe the luminous manifestation of God's person, or, or they, they would do the glorious revelation of God's own self. And that seems to be the sense in which John is using that word here. He's, he, is, he says we've seen his glory. He's talking about divine glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who came into this world? The one who made the world. The one who possesses the very glory of God himself. And then John goes on to describe him, verse 16, as the giver of grace. The giver of grace from his fullness we have all received, John says, grace upon grace. He's the giver of grace. And, and if you've read the Bible, that might strike you as strange because, in, listen, in Scripture, you know this. Who gives grace? In Scripture, the one who gives grace is God. But here John says, we, we have received grace from his fullness, from him. So at the incarnation, who are we talking about here? Who, who came into this world? He's the giver of grace. He's the possessor of glory. He's the one through whom the entire universe was made. In other words, John is saying he's God. Now, John is not describing the Father. He's describing a, a person who is distinct from the Father and yet equally God. He, he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God. You could translate that uh, God, the, the, the only Son who is himself God. He says no one has ever seen God, but God who is at the Father's side has made him known. He's describing one who is God and you it is distinct from the Father. One with the Father, yet a, a different person from him. 
That's who came into the world at the incarnation, the, uh, the creator of everything, the, 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 the giver of grace, the possessor of glory. We would say the second person of the divine trinity, the eternally existent son of God, came here. That's who came. Now, how did he come? Verse 14, John 1 verse 14 is one of the most thrilling verses of the entire scripture. Verse 14 says, the word, and if you've read John 1, you know that John uses that term, the word, to describe the eternal son, the, the second person of the Trinity. He says, the word became flesh, flesh. Everybody clench your, would you clench your hands together like this? You feel your fingers, you feel your hand. Maybe you'll push your hands against your face or your shoulders. That's your, your body you're touching. The second person of the Trinity became flesh in, it, without ceasing to be God in any way. Christ, the Word, He took upon Himself a human nature, a human body, a human mind, a human soul. He became flesh. This perfect union of, of humanity and divinity. He, he is the God-man, 100% God, 100% human. Colossians 2 verse 19 says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And if you think about, I mean, just think about how amazing and wonderful this is. When the Christ came into the world, he did not come in a blaze of glory. He didn't come with an explosion of power. He didn't come surrounded by armies of angels. He came as one of us. So ordinary that if you were to see him walking down the street of Astoria, Queens, you wouldn't look twice. Just an ordinary guy walking down the street. He came. He was, he was one of us. Uh, Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, He was made like us, his brothers and sisters, in every way. One uh, preacher named H.B. Charles Jr. said this. He said, The eternal God who is sovereign and holy and infinite handicapped himself by taking on human flesh and becoming like you and me. Now, you probably agree there is a lot of mystery, isn't there, surrounding that doctrine. It's, it's not, this is one of those doctrines that's not just hard to understand. I would almost say it's impossible fully to comprehend with our finite human minds how, how this could take place. But here's, when you read the Bible, you'll notice that the writers of Scripture, when they describe the incarnation, their purpose doesn't mean just to give us some kind of cosmic enigma that we'll struggle to understand. They describe the, the incarnation not just so we'll try to understand it, but so that it would give us comfort. This whole teaching is designed to give you comfort. Um, how does it comfort us? Well, listen, the fact that the Son of God became one of us, you know what that means? It means no matter what you are going through today, Christian, your Savior has been there. He's been through it. I don't know if you've ever gone through a hard time and, and, and nobody seems to understand and your friends try to comfort you, but it's, it's not until you run into somebody who's actually gone through it, you finally feel, yes, it, there's a deep sense of comfort. Maybe you're, you're, uh, um, you're going through a divorce and uh, no, none of your family members have dealt with that, but you have a friend who has and, and his, 
his counsel, his words just mean so much. Or maybe you're an immigrant and people are nice to you, but until you reach somebody who's actually, you know, left their home and moved to the other side of the world and had to learn a new language, they understand, they've been there. Listen, Jesus is like that infinitely more. He's gone through everything you face. Are you lonely today? He was lonely. Are you weary? He was weary. Are you struggling? Jesus, your Savior, he struggled. Are, are, you, um, are you discouraged by your failures, by your sins? And the Bible says Jesus never sinned, but you know what? On the cross, he experienced all the guilt, all the shame, all the remorse of, of our sins. He's, he's, he's experienced those feelings. Hebrews 4.15 tells us to find comfort in this. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a Savior who's out of touch with what we're going through. It says, we have one who was tempted or tested in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So who came into this world? The infinite, eternal Son of the living God. How did he come? He became one of us. Just one of us. Now, why did he do this? Um, that's an important question. Some, some people would, would say that the reason that Christ came into the world was primarily to, to, just to teach us. Because, you know, we're, we, we basically have our act together. We just need a little bit more information. That's all we lack. So he came primarily to be our teacher. Others would say, no, I think he came down here to, uh, to judge us, to condemn us, point out all the ways that we've done things wrong. You know, um, Jesus did come to teach. All right, we find his teachings to be very helpful. He did not come to judge John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But the primary reason, you'll notice here, why did he come? John, John says here, he came into this world so that we could join the family of God. Let, let me read, uh, starting again at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He was, he was born into the human family so that we broken sinful humans could be born into God's family. God, you could say it this way, God joined our family so we could join his family. Now, a couple of things to, to notice um, about this idea of joining the family of God, becoming one of God's uh, children. Would, would you notice, notice here how simple this is? This is amazingly simple. Verse 12 does not say uh, to all who read the Bible and join the church and serve the poor and, and improve their lives and get their act together, to those people he gives the right to become children of God. That's not what it says. What, what does it say? It says to all who receive him. To all who receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to become God's children. To all who simply receive him. I wonder if anyone here... Um, received a gift this Christmas time. Anyone? That's not hard to do, is it? It's not hard to receive a gift. 
might be hard to give a gift. It's not, it's not hard to receive one. All you do is you just take it. It's yours, right? It's, it's not hard. It's simple. And the apostle here is saying it is that simple to join the family of God. You, you just merely receive Jesus. It's just like an act of belief, of faith. You, through faith, you just realize that you, you need a Savior and you just you trust Jesus is my Savior. I trust that. He's my Savior. Have, have, have you trusted Christ that way? That's something you could do today. It's something you could do right now. So simply trust Him. So this is so simple. I love, I love the way verses 11 and 12 are um, translated in, in the, uh, the message translation of the Bible. It, here's the way it phrases it. It says, he came, he came to His own people, and they didn't want Him. But whoever did want Him, who believed He was who He claimed and would do what He said, he made them to be their true selves, their true child of God selves. To those who just says, yeah, I want him. I want him. I receive him. That, so it's, isn't, it, isn't it amazing? You'll notice that this becoming one of God's children, it's simple. And yet also notice, it is, uh, it's supernatural. This is, this is supernatural. I love, uh, there's a quote in the reflection from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and he's talking about what it means to enter the family of God. He says it's not, he says it's not, um, it's not making uh, better people of the old kind. It's making us into a completely new kind of people. He says it's not like teaching a, a horse to jump higher. It's like turning a, a horse into a winged creature. It's a, a radical, real change that pl takes place in your life. And, and if, you, if you understand that that's what it is, you'll recognize this is not something that you make happen through your own strength. This is not something we manufacture through our willpower. I'll try to become one of God's children. You, you could try forever. You can't do this to yourself. This is something only God can do. And this, that's important to know because if, you know what, if becoming a child of God, if that were up to us to make that happen, we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? Because if you think about it, well, if you think about it, there are a lot of things that we can change about ourselves. There's a lot of things. You can change your appearance, change your hairstyle, change your clothing. You can change your name. You can change what you do for a living, change where you live. But, you know, you, you and I, we cannot change that basic mold that shapes who we are. There's a... Um, there's a British rock band called The Verve, and they, um, they made a song that talks about how it's so easy to kind of reinvent yourself in our society, but you can't really change, you can't change that mold that shapes who you really are. And the, the song is called Bittersweet Symphony, and here are some of the lyrics. Uh, they say, it's a bittersweet symphony, that's life. Trying to make ends meet, you're a slave to money, then you die. No change. I can change, I can change, I can change. But I'm here in my mold. I'm here in my mold. I'm a million different people from one day to the next. But I can't change my mold. I can't change. It's a pretty profound song, isn't it? It's just recognizing that fundamentally I can't change who I am in relationship to, to anything. And the, the authors of Scripture would say you can't change. You can't change who you are in relation to God. And here's the good news. All right, as simple as it is to receive Christ as Savior, if it were up to us, we could never do it. But it's not up to us. It's a work that God does. Jo joining God's, listen, 
Joining God's family is simple, but it's also supernatural. It's, it's a work God does in you through his power. It's not up to you. It's up to him. And listen, that is good news. It, you, you, here's where I'm, I'm getting this. Verse 12 says, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's so simple. But then verse 13, it says, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not by human willpower, but born of God. It's a change God does in us. So it might be today that you're, you're in one of those places where you're saying, I, I, I would like to receive Christ, but I, part of me doesn't even really want to. I, would, I wish I could believe, but part of me can't. The good news is it's not up to you. God, God could work a change. Do you believe this? God could work a change in your life that is so deep and so profound and so lasting. This, this change would bring joy to you for the re- not just the rest of your life, the rest of all eternity. He could do that for you by His power. And if you need, listen, I would say this. If you feel like you need God to do that for you, well, why don't you ask Him? He's, he's more willing to do this for you than you might even be to ask. Just say, God, I need you. I need that radical change in me where I know deep in my heart I've trusted Jesus. And I'm, I'm your daughter now. I'm your son now. I'm your child. The, the, that's why Christ came into this world. So that that could happen for you. So just to to resume, what do we mean by this term incarnation? Who came into this world? The one who made this world. The the one who governs this world. The one whose glory is infinite. The one who bestows grace. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, he came here. How did he do it? He became one of us. And why? Why did he join our family? Because he loves you. He wants you and me in his family. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for the amazing, amazing act of grace that you performed for your children in becoming one of us through Jesus. We pray that this year, as we, we think of what you've done, that that news would fill our hearts again with joy and confidence and faith in him, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen.